What is a token economy? Why are they recommended by just about everyone who helps your child? Do they work? And what makes them work? And why is it they never seem to work well for you? We cover all things token related this week and the next two on the Just 7 Steps podcast. Welcome to the Just 7 Steps podcast with Robert Schramm, a board-certified behavior analyst, educator, author, and developer of the 7 Steps to Successful Parenting. For more than 20 years, Robert has been teaching parents and professionals how to support children in developing the values and priorities necessary to live a successful life. In this podcast, you'll hear from some of the biggest experts in the fields of education, parenting, and behavior analysis. So buckle in and get ready for a wild ride where you'll learn to be your best in just seven steps. Hi, I'm Robert Schramm, a behavior analyst, education specialist, author, and dad. And I am also the developer of the seven steps to instructional motivation. Each week, I provide you with helpful information based on the Just 7 Steps approach. So if you haven't already subscribed to my Just 7 Steps YouTube channel, please take a second, do it right now. You'll be glad that you did. I've decided to take on the topic of token economies, sometimes known as token systems, token boards, or token plants. A token economy is anything that is set up to allow you to offer a symbol as a promise of future reinforcement. It is a great way to be able to delay giving tangible reinforcers or splitting up larger reinforcers to make them more useful in the home and school settings. This is a great topic for us to cover, but also a larger one. So I'm going to split this topic up into three separate podcast episodes. This first one will introduce token economies and discuss the reasons why you might need one and the major mistakes people make when trying to create them. There's nothing more important in education than the concept of motivation. If we can motivate someone to want to learn something, they will put forth the effort necessary to learn it. If we can't, it doesn't matter how hard we try to teach that thing to them. If they're not trying to learn it, we are not likely to succeed. Motivation is everything. It really is. So what is motivation? Well, motivation is a condition in which behavior related to acquiring reinforcement increases. If water is a reinforcer, and as a necessary part of life it is, then I can say that anything that makes me more likely to act in order to gain water would be considered a motivator. So what might motivate water acquisition? Heat, bright sunlight, physical activity, even enough time passing without water are all things that would serve as motivators, making the acquisition of water more valuable to you in the moment. So when we talk about education or behavior, how does this translate? Well, if the goal is to teach a new skill or if you desire that your child were to stop using a problematic behavior or to start using a more effective one, then we need to be able to find or create conditions to which the reinforcement available for those new skills or behaviors are valuable enough in the moment that the child will want to act in order to obtain them. So we have things we want to teach and we know we need to organize the environment in such a way that your child will want to obtain the reinforcement available for participating in or learning these things. So how is this done? Well, ultimately it depends a lot on the skill or the behavior of interest. If you want your child to say please and thank you, we can purposely set up a way to offer value to them in higher amounts 
when please and thank you are used. For example, if a child asks for a cookie without the word please, the cookie doesn't come. The child chooses to say thank you and an extra cookie is now awarded as reinforcement as well as positive praise from the parent. Regular contact with these contingencies around the words please and thank you should create a motivation in the child to want to use those terms appropriately as they increase the value or opportunity for reinforcement. Once you get good at setting up these contingencies for your kids to help you motivate and reinforce many different important learning behaviors, you may start to want to limit or reduce the total amount of reinforcement you are having to offer while still maintaining the motivational pull on their behavior. And this is where step five of instructional motivation comes in. For those of you who've taken my Just 7 Steps course at www.just7steps.com forward slash course, or my professional course on the seven steps at robertrampconsulting.com, you're well aware of the value and importance of step five for growing a program and teaching relationships over time. But generally what step five talks about is how we can continue to get the same positive responses we're looking for at lower levels of reinforcement and or the ability to get more positive responses for the same amount of reinforcement that we have available. The strongest reinforcement to work with in the beginning is immediate tangible reinforcement that comes continuously after each and every time we see a behavior of which we want to see more of. This creates a quick connection between the antecedent condition and the behavior and the positive consequence. This connection then makes the behavior more and more likely to occur. As we work our way through step five, though, we want to start to get more effort for less reinforcement while we try to connect the behavior to more natural reinforcers and ultimately create new habits around that behavior. So we begin to thin out reinforcement by making it less consistent, but still consistent enough to maintain the behavior. And in a perfect world, all the important reinforcement a child has would be available to us and we could use it as necessary to teach all the things the child is not learning naturally from their environment. However, this world is anything but perfect. Our kids have to deal with limits to reinforcement, as we all do. Uh, some of these limits might come from a lack of money, lack of time, lack of availability, uh, concerns over health or well-being, etc. So we can't just give kids whatever they want whenever they want them in order to build behavior. In fact, we often find that we're not allowed to use certain reinforcers due to the needs and concerns of others. In these cases, we might find it hard to create a motivation plan that allows for us to create a desire for participation and learning using immediate tangible reinforcement. Okay, let me give you a quick example. We have a child who loves watching YouTube videos, and we want them to stay seated in a classroom and engage in some basic seat work. If we can set up a contingency where the child knows that engaging in small amounts of seat work would make the YouTube videos available as reinforcement, they would likely be willing to put in effort into their seat work. However, the school may not be willing to allow the child to watch YouTube videos during class time, as it might be considered unfair or a distraction to the other kids. So what are our options? Well, perhaps the school does have a room nearby that would allow for private viewing of YouTube videos as reinforcement. 
If so, the school might suggest that the child work in that room to learn to do their seat work while getting reinforced with videos privately. But this doesn't really help us in the long term, as the goal is for the child to be able to do seat work in the classroom with their peers and other distractions. So instead, we might need to set up a way for the child to do seat work in the classroom and then earn the ability to go to the side room for their video reinforcement. The next problem we might find we have is that the amount of time it takes to stop working and to go to the other room becomes prohibitive as the child might currently be needing a minute or two of video after every single task at their seat for it to be motivating enough for them to start giving their full effort. The back and forth needed for this type of program would make it impractical, if not ineffective. So where does this then lead us? Well, we know we need reinforcement and a desire for that reinforcement as a motivator, but the reinforcement we have to work with is not available in the current environment and it is impractical trying to go back and forth quickly to an outside setting. Well, this is just one of the several situations that would be benefited by the creation of a well-designed token plan. The benefit of a token plan or token economy is that it always allows you to use tokens as promises of reinforcement to help you to keep motivation while delaying tangible reinforcement or splitting up larger reinforcers into smaller, more usable chunks. Let me explain. In the example above, we could use tokens as a promise to future reinforcement to maintain motivation for their seat work. If the goal is for the child to do seat work, then we can offer a token for each task completed in their seat. Where it is impractical to reinforce each task with a move to the video room, we could easily give each completed task a token or a promise towards video time. Then, when it is more practical, we can go to the other room and cash in those tokens for video time, gaining more time, the more tokens that are cashed in. This is just one example of when a token plan might be helpful in teaching or parenting, but it is by far not the only one. In fact, here is a list of reasons why a token plan might be a necessary part of your parenting or education plans. You might want to consider a token system whenever a reinforcer you want to use is too difficult to control on a give and take basis. For example, you have a child who loves playing with, let's say, Legos and has boxes of them. When they start to play, the Legos are all over the table and the floor, and your ability to control access to the Legos is compromised because it becomes too hard to stop access to them uh, when you want your child to engage in the next learning activity. Another example of this could be if you're using a game that has a lot of pieces to set up before your child can enjoy it. If every time you wanted to give them access to the reinforcer, there was this cumbersome setup process involved, it would limit your ability to use this reinforcer on a give and take basis. You might also need to consider a token plan when the reinforcer you want to use is too substantial to give for a single presentation of a small sample of work activities. If the strongest reinforcer you have is the ability to buy a toy at the toy store, for instance, this is not the type of reinforcer that can be used as a reinforcer for individual behavior choices, as it would have to happen far too often to be practical. Uh, you might also need to consider a token plan when a reinforcer you want to use is only valuable if it is experienced over a longer period of time. For example, a lollipop 
that lasts a longer period of time or chewing gum might not be useful to for give and take reinforcement because the child would have to have them for longer periods of time to enjoy them correctly. Now, the same might be true with a child who wants to play outside. If playing outside is only fun on a basis of at least five minutes at a time, you wouldn't be able to give them enough time to enjoy it on a give and take basis for small amounts of work accomplished. Sometimes the problem might be that a reinforcer you want to use is only available at certain times of the day. Uh, sometimes it is because the reinforcer is not available in the current location. Some reinforcers might be available to you at times you need it and in the location you are teaching, but the reinforcer could cause social stigma to the child if used immediately after the work that we want to reinforce. Uh, for an example of this, uh, you have a classroom that will allow a teenage boy to watch videos in class as reinforcement, but the child's main interest is childish shows like Disney or Paw Patrol. And finally, uh, you might find yourself in a situation where you're trying to build uh, behavior in a location that is just not very tangible reinforcer friendly, such as some school classrooms or a church or a library. The ability to give a child tangible reinforcers might just not be allowed. And all of these situations are ones that might lead you as a parent or educator to consider using a token system. Now, going to McDonald's for a Happy Meal might be a reinforcer that would benefit with the help of a token system for many of these reasons we've just mentioned. It wouldn't be available in the location that you're trying to teach. It may not be available at all times that you might want to use it. It's probably too substantial of a reinforcer to give for simple behaviors. And it might not be appropriate for an older child to want to have a Happy Meal. So for multiple reasons, if you've determined that a Happy Meal at McDonald's was your strongest and best option as a reinforcer for a specific child, it would likely mean you would need to develop some form of token system. So what exactly is a token system? Well, in the same way that money serves as a way to offer delayed reinforcement in our larger society, a token economy can be designed that serves that purpose in your child's environment. By understanding the contingencies at play that make money so valuable to us as a reinforcer, we can plan to develop a set of mutually agreed upon symbols with the goal that these symbols will become promises toward future reinforcement that is meaningful enough to affect the behavior of your child. According to the Behavior Analysis book by Cooper, Heron, and Heward, the basic steps in designing and preparing to implement a token economy are as follows. One, select tokens that will serve as a medium of exchange along the lines of points or stickers uh, or plastic chips of some sort. Two, identify target behaviors and rules. Three, select a menu of backup reinforcers. Four, establish a ratio of exchange. Five, write procedures to specify when and how tokens will be dispensed and exchanged and what will happen if the requirements to earn a token are not met. In other words, will the plan include some sort of response cost measure? Six, then field test the system before full-scale implementation. Now, this is by far not a complete list of all the considerations you might have to make to ensure that your token economy will be successful. However, it is a great jumping off point. We certainly will have to determine or select what we will use as tokens. We have to have a set of goals or rules that we're trying to achieve. There needs to be a backup reinforcer or a list of backup reinforcer that tokens 
can then be turned in for to give them value. And there needs to be an established rate of exchange between the two. But there's a lot more than this that is crucial in determining whether or not a token plan or a system or an economy will have long-term motivating value. Remember, reinforcement is only reinforcement if it increases the behavior that it follows. And for this reason, a token is only a meaningful promise towards reinforcement if it reliably leads to items or activities that will cause them to increase the behavior that the tokens are given for. For any token system to be successful, you have to set up a contingency where your child is strongly motivated and wants to work to gain access to more and more tokens. One of the biggest problems associated with token plans that don't work well or for very long is a reliance on an all or nothing system. Anytime there is anything in your plan that could lead your to your child being in an all or nothing situation, there will be an immediate problem with creating consistent motivation. For instance, I've seen hundreds of token plans over the years that were set up as follows. There is a period of time for which the child is supposed to behave. If they make good choices, they're given tokens. Then that time period ends, and if they've earned enough tokens, they get their reinforcer. But if they fall short, even by one token, they don't get the reinforcer. They either earn it all or they earn nothing. And these token plans are destined to fail and should be avoided because if the threshold for reinforcement is, say, 10 tokens and nine tokens gets you absolutely nothing, then the first nine tokens you earn have zero standalone value and will not be motivating. So here are the options of how you, this will inevitably play out. If the session were to start out strong and your child begins earning tokens quickly uh, with plenty of time left, They'll begin to lose their motivation because they know it will be easy for them to earn the last couple of tokens needed. So they might not have to try very hard for much of the session. Conversely, if the session starts out poorly and your child gets behind to the point where it feels like there's no way they can be successful, they again will lose all motivation to keep trying. The way that teachers and parents and educators then try to remediate these issues is they start to ration how and when they give their tokens so the child is never too close to or too far away from their goal. The problem here is that then the tokens and reinforcement is not truly representative of the actual behavior and therefore does not get to act on behavior in the way that it is supposed to, creating motivation for only the best choices and demotivating the lesser ones. The way that we avoid all or nothing motivation issues is to set up a plan that allows for each token to have standalone value. That value, like money, cannot be made worthless at a later time for any reason. This is what was meant by Cooper, Howard, and Hewitt when they said that there needs to be a menu of reinforcers available for tokens. This is the way that you can assure that every token has value all on its own, and that value can be multiplied by earning more. I'll cover that more a bit later when we start discussing how we create a strong token plan in the next episode. Another issue related to this problem is the concept of taking tokens away from your child who has already earned them. Now, many teachers, uh, parents, or therapists who use token plans put as an opportunity cost for bad behavior the ability to take back the tokens that had previously been earned. When you do this, you again start to steal away the individual value of a token. A token will have far less value if the child knows 
it can be lost if they make a mistake. The knowledge that an earned token is yours is far more motivating. So the point here is to make sure that any token economy you design allows each token you offer to have as much standalone value as possible. And the best way to do this is to use a menu of reinforcers and to avoid taking tokens away once they've been earned. Even knowing these basic rules, however, I've still found myself falling into the trap of using some all or nothing contingencies in plans that are otherwise very well created. Here's a recent example that I had to overcome. I had a plan created that avoided all forms of all or nothing contingencies. The child was able to earn things he wasn't able to get otherwise through important behavior. And each and every token he earned was able to be turned in for more time with that reinforcement. But then the family asked me if we could do something about swearing. And after working with them, we decided that we would offer the child uh, three bonus opportunities per day. The child would earn a five token bonus if he got through the morning session without swearing, again, another five tokens if he got through the afternoon without swearing, and finally, a third opportunity for five tokens uh, as a bonus if he didn't swear uh, in the evenings. Uh, this felt like it would motivate the child to try hard to avoid using this inappropriate language around the house. And to some degree, it did. Five bonus tokens was a lot. He often was able to avoid swearing to earn his additional bonus because there was now this built-in reason to. But what we quickly realized was that once he lost his bonus, meaning once he did swear and the five points were no longer available to him, there was nothing left he could do or nothing left to motivate him to continue to avoid swearing during that part of the day. So the boy realized that once he lost his bonus, he could now swear as often as he wanted with no real consequence. So again, we found ourselves in this all or nothing situation and we had to change it. So to avoid the all or nothing, we decided that if the child didn't swear during the session, he would get five bonus tokens. But if he did swear once, he would only be able to earn three tokens. Then if he swore again, he would only be able to earn one and uh, zero if he were to swear four times or more uh, during the session. In this case, although the difference between not swearing and swearing once was only three tokens instead of five, if they did make a mistake and did swear, there was still some value in trying to stop himself going forward. And even if it did happen a second time, there was still some value in avoiding it going forward from there. The next important consideration in developing a truly motivating token economy is that any plan should be created with the goal of making tokens generalized reinforcers. A generalized reinforcer is any reinforcer that has multiple forms of value, allowing it to have more value than any single reinforcer can have. Money is a great example of this. Money in our society has become far more valuable than the individual things that it can buy because it brings with it the value of choice. If someone offered you $100 worth of fish or $100 in cash, just about anyone would take the cash because the dollars have the ability to get you that $100 in fish if you wanted, but it can also be used for many other things, giving it far more value overall. So what is the lesson here for how we develop token plans? To me, this information leads us to an understanding that our tokens should seldom to never represent a single reinforcer. 
But again, as Cooper, Howard, and Hewitt stated in the behavior analysis textbook, they should be usable to purchase from a menu of reinforcement. That menu, like a restaurant menu, makes many different items available and gives the child a choice within that menu as to what they will want to experience in the moment. When a token plan is set up with only one reinforcer possible, or when the reinforcer is expected to be chosen by the child in advance of the work of earning the tokens, it is likely to have less value overall because the option of choice has been lost. If a child is working towards a reinforcer and in the moment they decide, you know what, I don't really want that item that much. Well, then you can lose your motivation for better behavior, better choice making. Creating tokens as generalized reinforcers that are more valuable than even the individual things that they can buy is the way to go when trying to maximize motivation in any token plan. Now, I've seen a lot of puzzle token plans in my day. The idea is cute. You take a picture of a reinforcer and then you cut it into puzzle pieces that the child can earn. And when they earn the full picture, they get that reinforcer. But these token plans are subject to the loss of motivation that can come with predetermining the reinforcer beforehand and only allowing there to be a single reinforcer earned by those tokens. Another potential problem with a puzzle or even a token board token plan is that once the tokens are all earned, the reinforcement now needs to be delivered. There's no ability to control when this might occur and the child might have to leave the classroom at an inconvenient time or stop work during an important lesson to get access to their reinforcement. So to avoid this, teachers might choose to not give a token that would have been earned because they're not ready to reinforce yet. And then this starts to affect the overall effectiveness of the behavior being used. So instead, allowing children to earn as many tokens or points as possible during a period of time will allow you much more freedom to control when that reinforcement then becomes available without having to play games with how and when you want to give your tokens that are ultimately supposed to be earned by the child. Okay, so for today's episode, I've discussed what a token system is and what you can do to maximize motivation, as well as the major mistakes to avoid when using token plans, or token economies such as allowing there to be all or nothing contingencies or predetermining reinforcers. In the next two episodes of the Just 7 Steps podcast, I will be discussing all that goes into making your own token plan and some of my favorite hints and tricks for making sure that your token plans have immediate motivational pull and the staying power necessary for long-term benefit. Thank you for taking the time to join me today on the Just 7 Steps podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please take just a moment to leave me a comment, give a thumbs up, share the video with others, and subscribe to our YouTube channel so that you won't miss out on any of our Just 7 Steps videos designed to help parents of children with challenges find your family's path to progress. See you right here next week.